Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And now, your host, Ben Adelberg. And thank you again for joining me here at the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 65. Well, as you all know, Rory McIlroy is the player's champion. Well-deserved win. I have to be honest, though, I was really pulling for Furyk there in the end. I just thought it was incredible that a 48-year-old guy who's won a major, captain to Ryder Cup team, he's done it all, he's seen it all, and he just absolutely grinded his way around that place for sheer pride and got pretty damn emotional over the experience. And, you know, after speaking with Paul Tesori during last week's episode, I couldn't help but think of Mike Cowan. You know, Fluff is uh, Fluff is 71 years old. He's an absolute machine out there. He's been on the bag for Tiger, Furyk, Peter Jacobson. Anyway, congrats to Furyk, congrats to Fluff, and hey, maybe this is the year that Rory gets it done and closes up the Grand Slam at Augusta in a few weeks. Speaking of the Grand Slam, all right, it's called that because there are four majors, not five, four. The Players' Championship is not a major championship. It's the players. It has the biggest purse, an amazing field, and it's contested at the tour headquarters in Pontevedra Beach every single year. But what does calling it the fifth major actually accomplish? Does that mean that Craig Perks, Tim Clark, and Stephen Ames are going to consider themselves major champions retroactively? Does that take some of the shine off of Sergio's Masters win, since apparently he'd already won a major at the 2008 players? And let me throw this one out there. What if the marquee names were not at the top of the leaderboard on Sunday? Nothing against Siwoo Kim, but I didn't remember NBC pushing the fifth major tagline for him in 2017 as hard as they did for Rory this year. Just some thoughts. I don't share my own point of view all the time, but maybe I will do a little more of that. So email me, leave comments, roast me. I don't really care. It's a great tournament. I loved watching it. I just hate trying to be sold something by NBC so that they can sell more ads the following year. Speaking of leaving comments, I've been getting a lot of listener feedback recently regarding upcoming episodes, uh, advice on golf trips that some of you guys are taking, tips on how to lower your handicap. I love all this stuff, so thanks to everyone that has reached out. And if you're listening to this episode thinking that I don't get back to everyone, you're wrong. I really do. Love the feedback. Please take the time to leave a review in Apple Podcast. It takes two minutes. Please tell other people about the back of the range. That's the only way we're going to grow, only way we're going to keep getting these great guests. So for those of you that follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, keep doing so. And you probably know by now that we have some brand new merchandise in stock. You know, we have our towels. Well, now we have trucker hats. So they are available on the website a lot of different colors. They're really sturdy. I love this hat. I got them basically for me, but seems like everyone else wants one as well. So go to the website. If you have questions on how to get them, just shoot me an email, ben at thebackoftherange.com, or just check the show notes of this episode. You'll see the link there. And uh, yeah, if you want a hat, go ahead and hop in and grab one. So our guest this week is Chris DeMarco. He might be one of the new kids on the block on the Champions Tour, but if you've been following golf for the last 20 years on the PGA Tour, you've seen him as a member of multiple Ryder Cup teams, multiple President's Cup teams. He's top 10 in all of the majors. 
and he had a front row seat to some of the more iconic moments in the game. You know, he shared his thoughts on the young stars of the PGA Tour, the guys on the Champions Tour that impress him each and every tournament. And we also chatted about his son, Christian, who's actually following in the old man's footsteps. So let's get to this week's episode. Chris, thanks so much for joining us here at the back of the range. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I just saw you at the Chubb Classic uh, in Naples at the Lily uh, Classics course. And um, before we dive into a little bit about your uh, your resurgence onto the Champions Tour, some of your playing days, I first saw you doing that torturous drill of, gosh, it's just a 369 drill on each side of the cup. Uh, for people listening that are trying to improve their games, is that one of your main drills that you work on? What are some putting drills that you've uh, that have been successful for you in the in the past? Yeah, I mean that one is the one I, I try to use as much as I can. It, it really just gets you to to just have those you know, those three, four, five footers just kind of be redundant, really, and and you know, and not a big deal because we know we can all you know stress over those. So I try to make those as stress free as I can by by doing that drill and you know, you got to make the three footers three times around and then you can move out of the four footers. You got to make those twice and you got to make the five footers once. And then you got to make all 12 butts in a row before you can leave. So, um, you know, when the greens are good, I can get through it pretty quickly, but when the greens are a little bumpy or <laughs> a little windy, you can be out there for a while. So, um, I, I, I definitely, um, it's definitely helped. I'm absolutely seeing, um, you know, big, huge, um, improvements in, in my short putting. Um, and obviously the, the more comfortable you feel in the shorter putts, the the more comfortable you feel in the longer putts and get, and you can actually go ahead and, 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 you know, be aggressive on the longer putts and try to make putts. Sure. Can you, uh, without, uh, you know, ripping back any scars or any, uh, any, you know, bad memories, can you think of a time after a round on the practice green where that drill just never seemed to end? Yeah. Plenty of times. Um, yeah. Um, there's been times where I, where, you know, I, I've been out there for a long time and I like miss one four footer or five footer and I'll just say, okay, I'm just going to count that one. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, you know, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is a, um, it is a brutal drill for sure. But when, you know, when you do do it, you do it right. And you stay consistent with it. I I've done it every day since I've been in Florida for the last two weeks. And um, I can absolutely see a vast improvement in my putting for sure. Wow. Well, that's, that's great to hear from, from you that I'm sure people listening need to take that into consideration. I, I won't take you back to when you first started the game, but I did, uh, did want to ask you, you played at the university of Florida. I know you're a, a rabid Gator and uh, and huge fan of their football program, but you started um, actually, it's kind of unique. You, you started under coach Lynn Blevins and then actually, Buddy Alexander became your coach. So um, I'm assuming Coach Blevins recruited you. What was the transition period like when you start with one coach and then go to another coach while you're still in the program? Um, in all honesty, it was absolutely fantastic having Buddy come in there. Nothing against Lynn Blevins. Sure. But he, certainly wasn't, he certainly wasn't my favorite coach um, in the world. So, um, you know, he, he had a different way of teaching. Buddy was definitely more positive. And, um, you know, so it was, it was a blessing to tell you the truth. I learned a lot from buddy Alexander for sure. Well, he's had a lot of amazing players, actually a lot of, a lot of players that have come through this podcast, uh, you know, Duke Butler and Nick Gillum that were, uh, you know, stalwarts on his team, just the same as you, um, you know, your, your son just wrapped up his career at uh, university of South Florida. You know, he had a fantastic career. He's a unanimous all conference selection. He won the hundredth state amateur in Florida, which was did awesome yeah. I never, 
I never did that. He did. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, to, I know a lot of, I tried to qualify for that, did not make it, but I know a lot of people that played in that 100th, that was definitely on people's radar. I'm curious, how do you balance the role of just being a regular supportive father telling your son to go, like, chase his dreams, but then also need to, I would assume you have tons of insight to share as someone that's been through exactly what he's trying to go through. I know he's on the McKenzie tour. Uh, how do you balance that? Yeah. You know, um, it, it's hard. I mean, and you know, the one thing that, that he's really good at now, I mean, again, I was dad for a long time and you know, no kid wants to listen to their dad. Right, and then of course. once he realized that, you know, that I would be a, an asset to him, <laughs> he started actually, um, you know, asking some advice and, you know, he's, it's hard because he's a lefty. Um, so I really, he's got a great teacher that he goes to, which, you know, which I'm happy with because it would have been hard for me to, as a righty, you know, trying to teach him, it's really difficult. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's a, it's a, it, it's a slippery slope for sure. He's a, um, you know, he's a great player and, and obviously he, he actually just went to Latin America and just got his Latin America card. Okay. So, um, which is very good. And, he is, you know, going to be um, playing a lot of that, which is great. I love it. And, you know, I'm happy for him. And, um, you know, he just needs to, to keep keep going. I mean, he's young. He's had some days where he's like, I can't believe this. I don't even like this anymore. I'm like, listen, you got a long way. Give it, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Give it, give it 30 years. Let, let's, yeah, let's, let's start talking, you know. Wow. So he's, he's – um, He's getting it. He's, um, you know, it, it's hard. I mean, you know, anything new like that is it, difficult. Um, you know, he, he's definitely listening to me now. And, you know, it's really good to give advice to each other. And, you know, he helps me out a lot. He's certainly helped with the resurgence of me to, um, you know, keep my competitive spirits going. You know, when, when your son can whip your butt, it, it, it kind of um, it put, lights a fire in you to, to go out and, and do some good stuff. So, um, I'm, I'm proud of him. You know, he just qualified for the, the Latin American tour. He just got full exempt status. So he's going to start at the end of March and, um, you know, have, have a good time. He's actually coming down. I'm, I'm in Palm beach. Now uh, he's going to come down tonight. We're going to play golf Tuesday and Wednesday and he's trying to pre-qualify on Thursday. So, um, you know, it, it's exciting to see him. And, and, you know, as a professional golfer, I had to talk with him probably two and a half, three years ago, actually right before he won the state am it was, it was only a month before the state am. And I saw some really good things his junior year of college. I see he, he, he almost won the conference championship. He lost in the playoff, um, you know, and he, he really, but I watched him that whole week. Is at Innisbrook. He played a, he played a bogey free round the last day and made a, a clutch up and down the last hole to get into the playoff. Knew he needed it. And we were on the beach a, a little bit, maybe a couple weeks after that. And I gave him my endorsement as a PGA tour golfer. I said, listen, as my, as your dad, You've always got my endorsement. Of I mean, you kidding me? You can't, you can't do anything wrong. You're my son. But as as PGA Tour, DeMar Chris DeMarco, absolutely, I give you my endorsement. Now you you have it. You have what it takes. Now you have to go do it. Um, it's not going to come easy. It's not going to be, um, you know, given to you. You're going to have to go get it. And you know, he works hard. He really does. He's way more mature, way more disciplined than I ever was at his age. Um, talent wise, it, it's it's pretty similar. Um, you know, I think I was more natural for sure. Um, you know, it didn't really have any tutelage and, um, you know, he, these kids nowadays, you have to have tutelage, you have to have everything or else you can't compete. So, right. uh, you know, he's got, you know, his swing coach, he's, you know, he, he worked as an instructor that works him out, you know, he, he makes sure he eats right. I mean, there's so much more that goes with it than what, what used to go with it. So, um, but he's seen it and he's getting it done. I'm proud of him. Well, you, you mentioned 
you know, his start. Now he's going to get going on the Latin America tour. You didn't go that direction. You probably went the complete opposite. You started out kind of on the Canadian tour. You've been there. You've done kind of the developmental tour route. You know what that entails. Have you been able to share maybe a, like, look, you're going to be down in some of these countries that you're not going to know the language. You're not going to know how to get around very well. I've been there going from province to province in Canada. Remembering back then, I think that was about like 91, 92, were there ever times they were like, I don't even know where I'm at right now. I don't even know where the golf oh, yeah. course is. And, there, and there's no, you can't pull out, you know, the iPhone and Google map yourself over to Alberta. Um, no. I mean, can you think of maybe just a, a rough spot you're in in Canada with, with some of the guys? I was actually fortunate my first year, right out of college, um, I made it to finals of tour school. So I was on the, I got to play the Hogan tour, Okay, which which was great. My, my, my first year, I was the youngest guy out. There was a lot of guys that I got to meet out there that kind of took me under their wing. Um, you know, I mean, to this day, you, you know, you still have Greg Kraft and Pete Jordan and Olin Brown and yeah. Ted Tree, but those guys, they still call me kid because that's what I was when I first came out. Oh, so, that's great. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, I was able to just, just, you know, Tom Lehman was on the, on that year. I mean, there were some great players, so, um, it was tough. And then, you know, really right after, um, that year I didn't play real well and then I missed it second stage. So I didn't have anything to play. So my wife and I got married in 91. We actually went to, um, we went to South Africa for nine weeks and um that was that was tough that was you know obviously there was a lot of safety issues um there was obviously a language barrier um with a lot of them speaking afrikaans and you know it, it was it certainly was a great thing and we were we were fortunate to you know but we drove from you know tournament to tournament in a a, a jetta that didn't have any air it was 105 degrees there i mean it was it was tough, and um, you know, but I was lucky. I had, you know, I had my my wife with me, so I was fortunate to have somebody out there with me. Um, you know, his, his girlfriend. He's got Christian's got a really steady girlfriend, and she's actually working for Striker, so she's not going to be able to travel with him. So, you know, there are other guys that he knows that are playing that that tour on Latin America tour that you know that can give him some help. I don't know anything about that tour. I just know that you know safety's an issue for sure. Um, and obviously traveling is different. You're going from country to country. You're not going from state to state like he does in the, in, in, you know, in the United States. So, um, you know, it's, but it's, again, it's so much easier, easier than it used to be with the cell phones and all that. I mean, you know, I mean, we didn't have that. I mean, I tell him all the time when I had to talk to my, you know, my wife, when she was in that Hogan tour, when she was my fiance, I mean, I I said, I'll call you at eight o'clock. And if she wouldn't buy the phone at eight o'clock, then I, you know, I didn't try to call back for a while because it was, you know, there was no, you know, (laughs) really no answer machines there was nothing back no. then it was a, you know it was a credit card call and you know you, you try to get all of them or collect call or whatever it was i mean it's a lot different back then do you uh do you remember do you uh recommend traveling to south africa for newlyweds or was i mean that i guess that's how you figure out really quick if a marriage is going to stick together oh yeah and you know back then this was before no this was no money so we you know we we flew coach um oh, of course you know we, I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, she actually started caddying for me until we figured, we, until we realized that that wasn't good because a lot of the local caddies were offended and, and you know, it was a safety issue not to hire a local caddy. So I oh, hired a local cool. caddy that worked for me the whole time. And there was a lot of things because, you know, there's like 12 or 13 different tribes over there. And if you're in the wrong tribe, you know, if you're at like, if your caddy is not from that golf course, I mean, there's safety issues for him. There was a time where my where my caddy actually was getting death threats and actually left the bag and, and left the golf course. Cause he, they said they were going to kill him. So that was, <laughs> that was pretty scary. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. 
Well, it kind of makes that six footer look a little bit easier since your caddy left because he thinks he's going to get killed. So I guess you got to keep you got to keep things in perspective at that point. Um, I was gonna, I, I'd like to ask you. You know, uh, these are great things you're telling me about your son, uh, but you guys kind of shared a little bit of a odd moment at a U.S. Open local qualifier. I, I've I've spoken to Jim Demick, the executive director at the FSGA, and I said, D- "Do I have this story right?" and I guess the story basically in a nutshell is that you know, Christian was at a uh, U.S. Open local qualifier going against uh, Louis Gagne, and, and they both tied for the same score and both thought it was not going to be good enough, and they both left. And yeah. it turns out that um, they both were tied on the number for the final spot. We got one problem, though. There's no players there for the playoff. And, right. you know, the, the you yeah. know, they do. Okay, so I'll let you take it from there because and then, you know, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, how does Christian DeMarco call his dad, who's a PGA Tour member, say you're never going to guess what happened? But you pretty much know what happened because you were on the bag. I was kidding, yeah. So <laughs> um, he, he was playing such good golf. I mean, I think he made he made two doubles and a triple and shot even par. Um, we tripled 17, and when he left, he was he was – you know, ticked off. So we went to Whole Foods and we ate. And I said, let's go back and see what's going on. I go, dad, there's no way that's going to make it. I said, listen, the stranger things, it didn't play that, you know, it, it didn't play that easy out there. You never know. And, you know, the other thing was we were like the third group off. And then like literally three of the top five scores were in those first couple groups. So right, right. a lot of players left and he's like, dad, there's no way it's going to make it. So, you know, I'm like, all right, if you want to leave, we'll leave. So we got back home and about an hour later, he got a phone call from his buddy saying you should have stayed you guys you know they flipped a coin and you ended up losing the only good thing to come out of that was he learned a lesson obviously not to do that again but a couple weeks later he got the call and he was able to actually get in he he got in as an alternate um to actually the spot he wanted to play and then we played i caddied for him that whole day too 36 holes and he um or no yeah 36 holes and we ended up missing in a playoff so i mean it was it was he played a great first round i think he shot four in the first round and shot one over the second round and, and at the bears club where he, where he won the state am and, yeah. and he ended up missing in a playoff, but um, yeah, he learned a lot that day. I mean, for sure. And, you know, at 22 years old, it, you, you, you do stupid things and, you know, thankfully he, he got a lesson, but it didn't cost him anything. He was able to still play the qualifier. Right. Of course. Yeah. No, I, 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 I when I re- read that story and I did remember at the time, I'm thinking to myself of all the rule changes we have in this game, we were doing all this stuff. How in the hell does something like that be decided by a coin flip? Like, can't we text the players? Can't we get them back at the course? But hey, I guess they'll they'll figure that at some point. Uh, before we just hit on a couple of your team appearances in the Presidents Cup and the Ryder Cup, and obviously, um, you know, you've top ten uh, in in every major. I can't get away from Gator football too quickly. I know that this is a good subject <laughs> for you. I know that you and just like every other PGA Tour player has always run into the occasional rowdy, inappropriate fan on the golf course. Just how bad are you at UF football games? Um, I'm a lot better than I used to be. Um, <laughs> I, I, I used to definitely get rowdy and, and, and crazy. Um, I, I'd like to say that I've, I've become more of a gentleman for sure. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. I usually go with a, a bunch of people that I know and we all have, a, we just have a good time. And obviously it's really nice to see, um, you know, what Dan Moan's doing and, you know, the Gator, program the football program is is back i i think i mean the recruiting's back everything's back so but yeah it's one of my passions for sure i was a bull gator for about 15 years and um since we moved to denver i actually gave it up because i i just wasn't going to go to any more games sure and and my buddy that i stayed with a great friend of mine brian cornblow is is a huge booster there and 
he's had a box forever and he's always got seats for me if I need him. So I actually um, took advantage of a couple twice this year. I went to the Georgia game and I went to the, um, um, the South Carolina game. So it was, um, it was a lot of fun and, and it's, it's great to go back. I have so many good friends up there and obviously it is a big passion of mine. Um, Saturdays in, in the fall are, are some of my, my best days in the world for sure. Need to get those early tea times, get that work thing out of the way so you can go watch football, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of when I'm thinking about tailgates, I'm thinking just about, you know, enormous amounts of food and beer. And I guess that is a somewhat of a graceful segue into the fact that I think in previous articles I've read, you were never much of a practicer, never much of a fitness gym rat guy, but you know, you've definitely uh, trimmed down and, and really gotten into shape to start the champions tour. When did fitness really kind of enter your process? I mean, when, when did that change for you? You know, it was probably about two and a half years ago. Um, you know, again, my, my kids, my kids and my, my wife are very, very into, um, into fitness. Um, you know, my, my, my 15 year old daughter's a vegan. So, I mean, it's, you know, it, nutrition and, and fitness has become something. And I was, I was looking in the mirror and I'm watching them all get all fit. And I'm like, okay, I need to do something. <laughs> so I, um, I started getting into it. My, my wife and I, I mean, it, it really has been a resurgent for us because we, um, it's nice to have something in common like that. I mean, in Denver, we, we spend all the time together because we will go to orange Theory fitness or we'll go to a cycle bar place, or we'll just go walk around, you know, all the parks, the great parks. We'll go on a hike. We'll take a, yeah. um, go up to the mountain and go on a hike somewhere. So, um, it's definitely trying to do something every day. I mean, even last week I did on, on Tuesday and, and Thursday I did, uh, or Tuesday and Wednesday, I actually did orange Theory fitness. Um, just because I knew I needed to get, I needed to do something because I, I, I had to do it. So I, I got, I did those. And then, um, and then, you know, whatever it might be like today, I'm just getting ready. I'm cause I'm right here on the beach. And I'm waiting on my son. I'm going to go for a run on the beach and hopefully try to get this farmer's tan out of there. My, ooh, it is bad. <laughs> nice. Um, but, so fitness is a, it's a big thing and it's become part of your life. And, you know, I knew that competitive wise, I wasn't going to be up there with those guys because they, they they've been doing it for a while. So I knew, that if at least I could get fit and, and get strong, maybe I could be at least that that part ahead of the game of them. Um, but there's a lot of a lot of great players out there. I'm learning. I'm actually starting to play better golf, which is really good. Yeah. Well, you've had basically I think about nine or ten starts now in the Champions Tour. I think you had a few last year, and I know you've played both Florida Swing events uh, uh, this year. You know, you're just getting acclimated after. I know you had you know shoulder issues back around 07, 08. Um, you know, when you had your, your amazing run in the early 2000s, you know, the guys on the Champions Tour that were kind of killing it were like, you know, Bruce Litsky and Dana Quigley and Stadler and Watson. Did you think much about the Champions Tour at that point? I mean, I know it would be about 15 years away, but, like, did it ever cross your mind, like, I wonder what that's going to be like for me, or were you even thinking that far ahead? I mean, or what's really surprised you so far? Like, what are your thoughts on where the Champions Tour is right now? You know, it's in a great spot. I mean, obviously what Bernard Langer is doing is amazing. Um, that guy's a freak. It's a freak, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that, you know, 15 years ago I thought about the Champions Tour, but certainly when I turned 40, um, you know, I definitely thought about it when I, when I turned 40 and, and knowing that, you know, my career was kind of slowing down a little bit. I knew that, you know, I always said that once I felt like I was just trying to, you know, get in the top 125 and, you know, I wasn't really playing majors anymore. And my, obviously my kids were older and right. uh, you know, I was missing stuff at home and I just didn't feel like it, like I was doing what I needed to do to be out here. Um, then I knew that I would kind of hang it up. And thankfully for me, you know, the golf channel kind of fell in my lap a little bit. And I was able to do that for three and a half, four years. And, 
and, and you kind of stay relevant in the game and, you know, was able to keep my sponsors and all that. And then when I turned 50, obviously I knew that, you know, this was the way I wanted to go. And, you know, I knew that TV was pretty much going to be over at that time. And, um, you know, playing, a playing career was what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, last year I, I was, I was humbled for sure. And, and I knew it last year, those, you know, I knew those guys were good and I knew that I hadn't been playing much. And, um, you know, I didn't really, I just tried to take last year as, um, those six events just to try to learn what it was about out there, what, what everything was. And, you know, I knew this year getting to start the whole year that I was going to, um, be way more competitive, which I am, which has been, which has been fantastic. Um, really hadn't played much golf up until last week. Okay. Um, it's hard to play golf in Denver, but, um, you know, I went to Arizona with my son and we, we spent a week there and practiced and, and played and putted and, you know, did everything we could. And, um, you know, just to kind of get, get myself somewhat ready for, the first event, but then, you know, last week I came in and put a lot of work in and, um, and, you know, both weeks I played really good. I mean, last year, I think in the six tournaments I played, I had one round under par and this year I played two events and every round I've had has been under par. So yeah. um, just missing that, you know, that 65 or 66, it's out there. I'm just not, I'm just not, I haven't done it yet. And it, it, that that's coming. That's the next step. You know, the next, the first step was to get competitive again, which is what I did the first two weeks. And then, now it's just now it's trying to get myself in one of those last few groups and have a chance to win. Yeah, you mentioned uh, kind of acclimating yourself, uh, making the transition from not just the PGA Tour but also from the, from the Golf Channel to Champions. What's been something? I, I know there's probably a, a ton of crossover, but there's also maybe a couple differences that you've noticed and pinpointed right away. Is there something that just stuck out that you're like, oh wow, this is different than what I experienced in the PGA Tour? It is certainly not a marathon on the, um, on the champion store. It is a sprint. So, okay. uh, you know, if you, if you're even or one under through the first 10, 11 holes, you look at the board, you're, you are back usually by five or six or seven shots. And there's a bunch of guys between you and the leader. So, um, you got to kind of have your foot on the gas and never take it off. And, um, the one thing that, you know, like the best advice I got is that Billy Andre just said, don't, you know, just don't be scared. You just got to go out and do it. You, I mean, you don't have time to be nervous. You right. don't because okay. if you, you know, you take two or three holes and you're nervous all of a sudden, you know, that's two or three birdies that the other guys are making. So it's basically, you know, it's just gunning for it. I mean, if you're, there's really not much money, you know, from, from 45th to, to 78th, there's not much difference in the money either. So you might as well go ahead and give it your all. Yeah, no. So basically it's like par is just not a good number out there, is it? I mean, I, I mean, obviously weather comes into play and different course setups and things like that, but the standard 410 par four, where you knock it on the green and have 25 feet, you miss that. That's a, that's a bad par. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, you're, you're looking at, I shoot 69, 70, 70 last week and I finished 41st. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what that tells you. I mean, you know, that's three rounds under par. I mean, it's four under par for the week and you know, the week before was the same thing. I was four under par. I mean, a little bit harder golf course and, and I finished 30th. So, I mean, you know, it, it is, <clears throat> it, it, you definitely have to have that low round. Even if you look yesterday at the leaders, you know, Bernard Langer shot a 69 and a 70, but he threw a 63 in there. Yeah. So you have to, you have to have that one low round. And, um, you know, Jesper Partovic said it perfect. He goes, if you finish, if you shoot like one under every day, you're going to finish top 45. If you finish three under every day, you're probably going to finish top 25. And if you shoot 500 every day, you have a chance to win. And that's about right. So it's just a matter of, of getting that right. And, um, because that's about what wins. I mean, I think it was 13 this week. It played really hard on Sunday. I know Olin gave it away. He kind of made a bad double on the last hole, but, you know, it, it, it's, it's out there and, and, you know, the birdies are there. I mean, you know, for me, it was kind of nice to, you know, I, I know I, I lost by nine shots. I could see nine shots better easily out the neck golf course this weekend. I mean, I, I played good and, and I, but I'm leaving some, 
you know, I, I'm not making the 10, 15 footers like I need to make. I missed a bunch of those. Gotcha. You mentioned the, the golf channel. I'm not going to dig into that too deeply, but uh, you know, one thing I'm kind of curious on, how competitive is it to do, to be in TV with golf? You mentioned that it kind of fell into your lap. How competitive was it for you? You know, I, I always, what I tried to do with the golf channel, um, because I can see it with sometimes with, you know, whether it's, you know, Brandel Chambly, he can be a little controversial and some right. other guys. I try to, I always try to take the player's perspective. I always felt like I was talking from and for the player's um, point of view. And, you know, I never threw a player under the bus unless he did something really, really stupid and, and he deserved it. Um, you know, but for the most part, I always try to give the perspective from a player's point of view. And I think that's why they hired me. And I think that's why they enjoyed me on the air. I know a lot of people appreciated that perspective. You know, I wasn't there to talk about the 18th hole at Augusta and talk about, you know, you know, what the stroke average is there and all that. I'm there to tell you how, what it feels like to have a chance to win the Augusta and what it feels like on that 18th hole and what I was feeling, you know, playing Tiger the last day. I mean, that's, that's what I was there for. So that's what I tried to, you know, keep in mind. Of course. Um, well, I was just curious cause yeah, there's different roles, different personalities there. And um, no, I, I'm, I just was curious about that. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned the masters, you know, you, you made your first appearance at the masters in 01. You got in by winning a tournament. That was the first year that tournament was ever played. So it was the old Pennsylvania classic that turned into the 84 lumber. So you're playing it at, at Waynesboro country club that probably not many people even remember, or even know about, you know, it's your first win on tour at a course where I guess no one really has an advantage of knowing the course very well. Did, did that enter your mind leading into that tournament or was this just another event on the calendar and you just did the best you could? Like, do you remember kind of your thoughts going into that event? Well, you know, I, I was told afterwards, I didn't even realize it, but I had played that course before. Um, okay. <laughs> at the, um, at the, the U S amateur where they, they had it at, um, where did Justin Rose just win or where did he win his, his U S open? Uh, uh Marion, Marion, Marion. So that, yeah. So it was the U S amateur at Marion and the other course we played right, was, okay. was okay. So, it was so I didn't, I didn't even realize that. And I didn't even realize it until after the round. I didn't even realize I played that course. So, um, but you know what, I, that was one of those weeks for me. I mean, I didn't, I think the average, everybody averaged at least two to, or no, like six or seven free putts for the week they averaged. And I didn't have any, and I ended up winning by six shots. So yeah. that was definitely a good putting week for me. Um, you know, it, it's, yeah, I mean, that, that was, that I like that. I like when we go to courses where nobody knows. I mean, this was a new one. Nobody knew the course at Lele Resort. So, um, you know, it, it's, yeah, I mean, when, when nobody has an advantage, then, you know, it, 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 you know, it's what it is. I mean, I know that, you know, out here for the most part, a lot of these golf courses, all these guys know they've been playing it for years and years. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to going back to Houston. I'm looking forward to, you know, going back to Endicott, New York. Um, you know, last year at Flint was great. Going to play the courses that we played on tour. So, um, you know, it, it's fun. It really is. And, but it's competitive out here. These, you know, the, the biggest misconception out here on the champions tour is that people think that the courses are shorter, the greens are slower. That's not the case at all. It's just that these, these guys are really good. They yeah. really are. And, you know, I, I think that that gets overlooked a, a, a little bit because I think, you know, they, they, they tend to think that, you know, well, you know, look at the scores they're shooting. Well, they're shooting the scores because they're really good. I think that, you know, if you put Bernard Langer on the PGA Tour, you put Tom Lehman on the PGA Tour, you take a handful of these guys and put them on the PGA Tour, they would not only keep their cards, but they would win tournaments. Well, it's it's also, it's not like those scores that you guys are shooting out there are not being shot on other tours. Look at the web. Look at all the, yeah. I mean, golfers are better. Conditions are yeah. better. I mean, they're just, yeah. everything's better. So, so you get into the Masters at 01, 
It's your first time there. No one's going to really be shocked if you miss the cut because it's your first time and there's just a huge learning curve at Augusta. And you go out and shoot 65, 69 like you're a member. <laughs> you know, that's what people remember. Those are the high points. What were maybe some of the rookie mistakes you made just being around Augusta National for the first time? Because, you know, you don't know where to park. You don't know the maybe the, the ins and outs of the place. Uh, you know, do, can you remember any just like – bonehead rookie mistakes you meant not necessarily on the course but just in general you know that's the one thing that's great about augusta is you know it's kind of hard to mess it up because you drive you drive right down magnolia way and you know it, it, it's kind of hard to screw it up um and you know parking was great i mean you know once you learn your your, your stuff there it's great i mean the one thing about augusta was that i think everybody kind of knows that golf course i mean everybody i mean i i watched the masters of course for you know 15 years before I, I ever went there. I always knew, you know, I'd listened to the interviews. I always knew on the 12th hole, you never went at the pin there. You hit it over the bunker. That way, if it came up short, you were in the bunker. You weren't, you know, over the, over the, in the water. So, you know, there was a lot of things. I knew the golf course before I got there. Um, it was obviously the first time I ever played. It was the first time I ever saw it visually. I always told my buddies used to go up in college and I used to say I wasn't going until I was invited. Yeah. Um, and you know what? It was, a, it was, a, it was, it's great. Augusta is a, is a place like no other. It was great to play. You know, in the early 2000s when I played, because the course wasn't overly long. I mean, you know, the first hole was still just a driver and a nine iron for me. You know, now it's just ridiculous how long it is. It's, it's, you know, that 18th hole back there. I mean, I got to hit a driver, you know, 250 yards just to get around the corner. Well, I mean, my my driving distance 270. So I mean, it's it's hard. I I couldn't even imagine playing it. You know, right now. You know, everyone's familiar with uh, with 2005 with Tiger's chip in. Um, uh, that's pretty much been there, done that. As far as you know, asking you questions about that, it's all out there. But the thing I want to ask you is, I really remember in one of these highlight videos for that Masters where you were, I think, walking up to the clubhouse and you were stopped by Ken Venturi, and I and he had a moment with you, kind of gave you a little bit of a pep talk. I think there was a very very it was a very minuscule clip, something about just basically, you know, stick with what got you here. But did you have a relationship with Ken Venturi before then, or did he kind of just seek you out at that tournament? Can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, my dad actually um, played in a tournament with him um, in a pro-am <clears throat> and this was before I even made it on tour. So, you know, my dad always, you know, Oh, my son's good. You know, who knew, <laughs> who knew what I was, what I was going to turn out to be. And I'm right. sure Ken turned out to anybody, but uh, my dad was, you know, was a, God rest his soul, was a pretty magnanimous person and, and my, you know, hard to forget. So, um, you know, I, I remember Ken telling me the story of, you know, I remember playing with your dad. I mean, I, I can tell you I played a thousand pro-ams and I can't remember, but maybe about eight or ten people that I could vividly remember and, you know, would be able to do that. So, Ken, you know, that my dad stuck with Ken. And, you know, he saw me kind of, you know, play my best golf and, and would always have kind words for me, you know, whether it was after the round or, um, you know, even in the booth walking away, you know, he, he yelled down to me, whatever it might be. I mean, he, yeah, I mean, we had a, he, he was a great man. He was a great champion. Yeah. He was one of the best announcers ever. I mean, he, he really was. And he truly, truly wanted to see people play good. He really did. Yeah. Um, did you have that? Who are some of your other mentors when you got on tour besides Venturi or who like some, who were some of the, the good storytellers? I feel like maybe they're just, they, we don't have as many storytellers anymore on tour. Nick Price was one of the best. I mean, Nick Price, if there was a rain delay, wherever Nick Price was in the locker room, there was 30 people around him. He was telling jokes and being funny and just unbelievable. Um, you know, Peter Jacobson was, was oh, yeah. unbelievably welcoming when I got out there. I mean, he was just a, a fantastic guy. Um, you know, there, there's so many, um, you know, 
I think the, the tour is different now. I mean, you know, now you look out there and everybody's on their phone. You don't know anybody in the locker room. There's really not communication anymore. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So, um, you know, you really had, had true friendships out there. And, and that's, what's great about the champions tour now for me is that all my friends are on this tour. So, you know, I can go down the range and I can have a conversation with one of 50 guys on the range. Cause I mean, I, I, we, we go back and we have stories together from different times we played and, and things like that. So it's, it's, um, you know, even like Sandy Lyle this this last week, I played with him, and you know, you're talking about that first round at Augusta when I shot 65. I was with him, oh, and yeah. I told him that. So I mean, he was playing with me, and he goes, "Oh yeah, I remember that round. You played fantastic, and you did a lot of good things." So, um, you know, he's he's a he was a great guy, and obviously, you know, he he when I, when I started playing good, he was he kept me motivated for both days because I played with him the first two days, and um, you know, he saw that I was playing good, and he was cheer me on and i mean just you really see that with the, with the older guys i think it's great i think you know obviously we're all in the same boat we're still all trying to make money but it, it's a lot more um i guess there's more camaraderie on the champions tour than there was on the pga tour pga tour is big business you know everybody was was out for themselves i mean you know the web t- tour and the and the champions tour there's definitely more um companionship out there and you know you, you definitely get along with more guys and and you know because you're all kind of in the same boat you know and, you know, get the champions tours a second, you know, second coming, so to speak. And, you know, the web.com tour, you're trying to get your cards. Everybody's kind of, you know, has the same goal in mind. And, um, you know, so it, it's in the PGA tour is big business, but I, I, I love what they're doing out there in the, P, in the PGA tour champions. It is, it is a fantastic tour and it is got some great players and just some great guys. No, absolutely. I I've enjoyed uh, being at the last two events. I'm sorry. I'm not going to make the next one. Cause I, Got to stay here in South Florida and try and work a little bit, but I, I I really did enjoy the two weeks I was out there and 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 experiencing that tour. It's funny you mentioned uh, these these kids on the PGA Tour that got their head in their phone, and I I was thinking about, you know, how are they going to attract new sponsors? How are they going to, you know, talk to the leaders of industries and CEOs if they don't maybe have the best social skills and they got their head in their phone all the time? And I know that's probably. Uh, kind of a not a doomsday prediction but it's kind of looking a little bit too further down the road but is that something that they should be concerned about like how are these young kids going to be able to talk to executives that that are the sponsors that make that tour run well that that's the, the problem and that's the one thing that you know i i try to tell them, all the kids out there i for me i leave my phone in my locker when i'm when i'm, when I'm playing a pro-am and um you know so I, I think that that needs to be a, a, almost a rule on tour. I don't think that you should be able to have your phone um, with you on the golf course, especially if you're playing in a pro-am and, you know, you're entertaining these guys. I so. know you played in, you know, I'm a big, I love the Ryder Cup, President's Cup, any sort of team matches. I'm a big fan of whether it's, you know, Solheim, Walker, doesn't really matter. Um, you got your first taste of that. I mean, you, you've, you've had uh, incredible, uh, I mean, you could have played in any one of these teams, any one of these matches, um, any you played all the majors, but you know you, your first one is 2003. So you're heading back back to South Africa. Um, you, you had a you know, it was your first experience there. You go two and three, but that's the probably one of the most famous team matches ever because of how it ended. Um, yep. Yep. And I I'm watching and I was pulling up the footage and looking at it. So for people that don't remember, 2003 Presidents Cup, uh, it ends in a tie. And it's 17-17, I believe. And it's not like the Ryder Cup where, okay, the tie, whoever holds the cup retains and see you next time and, and that's it. The rules are where there is going to be a sudden death. So they put the names in the envelope. And obviously Gary Player is, picks, you know, Ernie Els because that's South Africa and he's the, the native son. 
Jack uh, or, or Mr. Nicholas picks Tiger. Um, you're there for three holes watching these guys go sudden death. That has got to be the best ticket ever for golf. You're with yeah, your team. It was. I mean, talk, yeah, it, talk me through that because I can't imagine anyone that, I mean, I'd love to be in that spot. You know, it, it was it was pretty good. It, it actually, in all honesty, I mean, looking back, it probably was unfair to Tiger and to. Oh, um, of course, that's awful. To, to, I mean, Ernie, especially Ernie, Ernie. Yeah. Oh yeah, God, Ernie. Jeez. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I, I you know, again, it almost ended. It ended up being exactly what it should have been. Right. You know, it really did because I think that, um, you know, it it it, it should have ended in a tie. It really should have. It was it was that. Um, you know, it was that awesome played and it was just so good for the golf. I think it really was good for the game. In all honesty, it was to see the sportsmanship between Mr. Player and Mr. Nicholas. So, um, you know, it, yeah, I mean, I, the, the putts that they made, I mean, the putts they made on that third hole, it was dark. And I mean, Tiger made an 18 footer that I'm telling you, you couldn't even see. And that was sure nothing but will. And then Ernie made like a seven, eight footer to keep it going. And both those guys who were walking right to the next hole to go to the thing. I mean, they were both in, complete game mode focus and then they, they ended up calling it and it ended up being great for them because i think it would it would have been it probably would have been a, a bad mark in either one of their careers right. if they would have not won that so it ended up being the, it ended up being great for tv they went to three extra holes they had a great a great match but then to be able to you know end in a tie i think that was the best thing that could happen what uh you know what and, and i said i was watching you know it's it's a it's a rule that it goes to sudden death but the TV coverage on NBC, you see basically uh, they all huddled, huddled together and then the teams separate and they huddle privately trying to figure out what to do. There's Mr. Nicholas is on an old Nokia brick phone calling Tim Fincham saying, hey, wh- here's what we're going to do. What was it like when you guys went as a team and huddled and say, what do you think? Were you I mean, I know this is your first team uh, appearance. You're a rookie. What was that when you guys are all huddled there in the dark on this on this green? Do you remember the conversation or who spoke up, who said this, who said that? Originally, and it was really funny. I don't think they got it audio, but Jack's like, you know, I think we should call it a tie. And and Gary's like, yeah. And, and then Jack goes, well, you know, that means we retain it because right. we held the cup. And, and Gary's like, no, 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 no. That's not how it's going to work. <laughs> and, and so um, and then they both, you know, they asked us, what do you guys think? And we all were kind of in agreement that, you know what, let's just both co-win this. Right. Um, and, and it, again, like I said, I think it was just great for the game. You know, obviously you played on two Ryder Cup teams, 04, 06. Both of them were the, the big lopsided losses, unfortunately, for the U.S. One was on our soil, one was on their soil. I guess from a, without digging too much into that, but just from a player's perspective, what were the differences that you experienced between the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup? Not so much about, you know, I won this one, I lost that one, but. You know, I think that um, the, the biggest thing for me was that, I don't know why, but um, we we definitely um, for some reason got a little bit more crazy with the with the Ryder Cup. It was always a lot um, a lot harder for some reason. I don't know why, but um, we definitely tended to um, I guess freeze up for a better word, lack of better words. I mean, okay. I think we just we didn't play our best. I mean, it was just I think it was maybe a little more nerve wracking. Sure, I know I was more nervous in the Ryder Cup than I was the President's Cup. Um, you know, the one thing I did and I always liked about the President's Cup was, was that we played more matches. Right. I always felt like, if, you know, if it's 12 people, I mean, all 12 people should get to play at least three or four matches. I mean, I just, I don't like the fact that, you know, you can kind of hide people. I mean, you know, if you guys are good enough to play, make the top 12 on either squad, whatever that is, you should be able to play the whole thing. 
And, um, you know, in the, in the Ryder Cup, sometimes you only play, um, you know, I mean, one year they, the Europeans only played, you know, some guys only played one match. Yeah. So, you know, I just, I never was a fan of that. I felt like, you know what, if we're going to play, we're all going to play. Let's, you know, let's put our 12 best out there and, and, and go to, go at it. The, the 06 team, you know, you had four rookies on that team with only one of them actually, um, you know, ended up playing future Ryder Cups. That was Zach Johnson. You had Verplank. He never played another. This was your last appearance. I know that. The, Brett Wetterick, Vaughn yeah, Taylor. Yeah, Wetterick, Vaughn Taylor. You know, I know that, you know, you had the shoulder injury in 07 that really kind of sidelined you. Um, you're looking at the teams and, and, you know, stacking them up. You know, you're a sports fan. I know I'm sure when the Gators are playing Bama or playing LSU, you may think, okay, you know, our ride receiver can beat their secondary or their front line's better than ours. But were you looking at the teams, stacking them up and saying, man, we're in trouble? Or or what were your thoughts with that lineup when it came out? You know, I never, ever thought that you were in trouble again, because again, you know, like anything, the PGA Tour, you know, if, you, if you're good enough to make a 12-man team, yeah, then, you know, obviously you've had a good year. Um, you know, Phil and I obviously had just had unbelievable success the year before the president's cup. So we went over and we both kind of played like crap. I mean, I think I was Oh three and one. I think Phil was Oh four and one. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, when, when you are expected to go out and, and be the guy, so to speak, um, and then you don't, well then, you know, things change. And, you know, it, it, again, it, it's so funny. I always listen to, to people and what they say and and they go oh man well we, you know the americans just don't look like they're having any fun you yeah. know they don't look like they're having a good time well let me tell you when you're losing it sucks <laughs> and when you're losing it is no fun right and you're not gonna have a good time so you know basically you know winning is fun and it's contagious and when you can do it guess what it, it, you actually play better so um you know i i always thought that was one of the funniest things ever when people would kind of well it's also people that aren't there they don't they don't understand what. yeah i mean you know oh it looks like the americans the europeans are having way more fun well they're winning yeah it's fun yeah i mean you know it's a pretty simple case how did uh how did you and phil get put together in 05 at the president's cup you guys won three and a half points i mean you you won three matches halved one how did that pairing happen you know obviously he always liked to play with with guys that you know like he wasn't always he never wanted to play with tiger and i mean you know the other big names on the team, he really didn't play with. He liked playing with, with like the you know the, the younger, not younger guys, but the guys that really weren't as, as like he's always had a great relationship with Keegan Bradley, and he, you know, he did it with other yeah, guys. With and he just, yeah. So, you know, he just, he, I think that we paired good together. We both, you know, we both loved to like gamble on the course. We loved both love football. I mean, we just had a lot in common, and you know, and, and we played a lot of practice rounds together, and you know. It's it's nice when you when you feel friendly with somebody. It's again when you're playing with Phil Nicholson or you're playing with Tiger Woods. There's a lot of pressure because you know you, you know, you're these guys are the spotlight. These guys are going to be the ones that, that are going to be shown. Yeah. And and the fact that, you know, I was able to, kind of you know do that with Phil and, and perform, well, it, you know, is something I take away and, and know that I can do. If I'm going to do it with playing with Phil, then it, it's pretty something pretty easy I can do. Yeah. Um, I will get you out of here on just a little quick bucket of questions. You can just give me a quick reply to these or as make it as long and long as you want to, but uh, slow play on the PGA tour. Will it ever really be fixed? Will fines ever, ever happen? Um, can anything really happen? No. And it needs to, it's absolutely, 
egregious. And, um, you know, I, I think ultimately it, the money's not going to matter. Guys making so much money out right. there. They put it, they put money away. I think it's going to have to be, um, penalty strokes. It's just going to have to be that way. They're going to have to just say, you know what? It's a two shot penalty. And there's no if, ands or buts about it because the guys that are slow know they're slow. Of course. And the problem is, is they know how to get around the rules, you know, and our rules officials, you know, they don't like to, to call it. And, you know, it, it's, you know, I should never get a, a penalty for slow play because I'm not a slow player, but the guys that are slow, I mean, if, if, if there's times that, I mean, that's the, that's the gray area that to me is, is so difficult is that, you know, because there is no black and white, but the guys that are, that are, are slow, know they're slow. And yet you can't, you, they can get around it. And then a guy that is a quick player all the time, maybe has a bad time, but you, it, it's hard to penalize him because you can't, you shouldn't penalize him. But right. you know, the slow players will, uh, he was slow too. So, you, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, waste management open. Uh, I, I, has the craziness and the the beer consumption and making it a party has that what's your feeling on that is it a little too much are we getting to the point where it's kind of jumping the shark where we got to kind of tame that down or is that good for golf i think it's awful okay um and the problem is and i you know i've said it before i've been pretty vocal about this too um i i I don't like they're not there to watch golf yeah that's the problem and you know i always say this if, if if Jack Nicholas said, you know what, I'm going to go make one more swan song. I'm going to go play Phoenix open. And he went there and that crowd there. And if he missed the green, they would do him. Yep. That's the mentality of that crowd. And the problem is, is again, they're, they're, they're just looking for some kind of thing. Out of it. Like I thought it was pretty, what they did to um, Matt Kuchin this year. One of the nicest guys ever. And they're, you know, pay your caddy. Right. It's like, come on guys. I mean, really? So, listen, I, I've had some run-ins there. The problem is is, is is, that you can't really do anything about it, and the players can't say anything. I mean, if I go to the papers in Phoenix and say, yeah, you know, it's out of control, I wish they weren't, I'd get killed. Yeah. I'd get absolutely just destroyed by them, um, you know, on that hole. So everybody's got to go, oh, it's one hole. We kind of like it, but it's not just one hole. No, it's anymore. not it's one every hole. Every yeah. hole, it's on the golf course, and they're just hammered drunk, and they just, <laughs> they're just – there's just no respect. Yeah. And, and you know what? I, if I get a bad shot, boomy. You know, if I miss a putt, boomy. I get it. But give me a chance to hit a bad shot. Give me a chance to miss a putt. Yeah. You know, and, and then they don't. They're, they're booing you before you get up there. They're trying to get a rise out of you. And, and it's for me, it's pretty simple to, to, to police. All you got to do is, you know, put 15 or put like 20, anywhere from 100 to a couple hundred undercover cops and the first guy that yells and says something you shouldn't say you're out yeah you know you throw 15 20 guys out that's what happens people realize oh i can't say that anymore well now the problem with social media is that you know like like 10 15 years ago some guy yelling baba booey or mashed potatoes you know that's just a right that's that's so that guy or that lady can get noticed right there by the 30 people or 50 people around them now like i see some guys heckling Sergio coming down the stairs saying, Hey, you know, you know, something about a bunker, you know, with his, with his DQ that he got, they're doing that, but they do it with their phone out videoing and hoping he'll turn around so they can immediately post that on Instagram. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what are we doing? Well, I'm, I've made, I made a comment one year where I just said, you know what? I said, I would love to, um, to get a cooler beer, go in somebody's office, put my feet up on a desk and yell at him while he's working. <laughs> 
You know, I mean, you know, granted, do I have a great job? Am I blessed? Absolutely. Of course. And I'm not saying anything about it. And again, and I say this too, because, you know, the, the fans in Phoenix, it's not, it's, it is such a minute percentage. You know, there could be 10, 15,000 people around the 16th hole. And that's like a hundred guys that are making it bad for everybody. Yeah. It's not everybody. It's just a, such a small percentage of it, but they, like, I could, you could never bring a, a eight to a 12 year old to 16th hole on Saturday or Sunday. No, no, no. There's no, no way. Yeah. You couldn't I mean, do it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with knocking down some beers, getting a little bit liquored up, being quiet, and then betting with your buddies whether or not Chris DeMarco or Tiger Woods hits the green, and then laughing or cheering when they do or don't. There's nothing wrong with that, but verbal assaults are when it gets a little bit kind of crazy. Well, yeah, you shouldn't, because I miss a putt and I make a bogey, you shouldn't call me an effing idiot because I, yeah. I lost $2 for you. <laughs> You know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, you know, I get it. Trust me. I, I It cost me a lot more money, that little four-footer that I missed. Nice. So I'm not happy about it either. And, you know, it's it's just something that they need to. This isn't a monster. Know, they, it's not a monster. We're not. This isn't a monster truck rally. This isn't, you know, this is something a little bit right. different. Yeah. It just it just need it needs to be. It just needs to be toned down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. They're letting no. it get. It's like oh, every, whatever wants to go on. Go, I mean, there's women flashing their boobs. I mean, it's it's gotten. It's it's crossed the line. Yeah. Is what it has. Yeah. Hey, listen, go out, have a good time, get have some drinks. If they miss the green, you boom. Yeah, that, we get that. That goes with the with the territory. But you know, you don't get personal with people. Of course. You know, golf is not that game. That's no. that's the thing. And, you know, it's 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 just not it's not football and it's not basketball. It's you know it, it it's a gentleman sport. And, you know, it's yeah. it's to me. A, and I don't. I'm trying not to be like a old stodgy player or whatever. Well, I, and, you know, I'm not. And, and, I'm, yeah. what, what these people don't realize is that if I was not playing and I was in the stands, they'd love me because I'd be just like them. Well, and the you thing know? is, you're, I mean, if you're... I was at a football game, I, they would love to be with me. I'd be drinking just as much beer as them. I mean, I, would, I wouldn't I would be yelling, you know, bad things at the players, but I would be having a good time, I can promise you. Right, and you're, you're someone that's saying it not for someone that, I mean, you're in the Champions Tour. I think you're saying it from a from a point of view where you want to protect the future of the PGA Tour. You're not yeah. you're not old guy. Get off my lawn. It's amazing the fans on the Champions Tour how great they are. Oh yeah, they just get it. Yeah, they get. There's some guys out there that get a little loud and have fun, but it, it's nothing like like the regular tour. The regular tour, it is. I mean, it is. Everybody's just screaming just to be heard. All right. Final question: What does a 50 year old Chris DeMarco say to a 21 year old Chris DeMarco? If he had the chance, um, if I had to go back and I've been pretty fortunate with like my spending, I mean, we, my wife and I, I mean, I probably, Oh, I know you got some cars and stuff. I know you got a lot uh, of TVs and fridges in your house. I already know about that. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I, I would, yeah. I mean, it's, the one regret, which, and I don't regret it because my kids had the best house ever, right. um, was the house that we, we had just moved from. Um, it just the, how much we spent on it was just a joke and the market killed us and all that. But uh-huh. I would just say, be a little more weary with of actually be more weary of spending, which we did a pretty good job with. We were not frugal, but we certainly made sure that we were set up for the rest of our lives. And the other thing I would say is just choose your friends wisely. Interesting. Because, because what happens is, is that people tend to, you know, because of who you are and what you're doing, yeah. You know, they they've always got a handout. So that would be the only other thing I would say. Just just choose your friends wisely. And every single week, your 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 salary's published. Yeah, that's crazy. Exactly. Exactly. I can't tell you how many times I picked up bills for for friends. I mean, like a, a thousand times. 
So, yeah, I mean, you yeah, know, because they like, hey, and, you just, you and just with wait. no reciprocation. Yeah. So, and they're like, I would hey, tell myself to be a little bit more weary, and and probably say no a little bit more. Is what I would tell yeah. myself. Chris, this has been an amazing episode. I really appreciate being so forthcoming and sharing all this great information about, obviously, your your career and then uh, moving forward in the Champions Tour. Wish you the best, and uh, we'll follow you the rest of the way. And uh, good luck out there. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Like, I enjoyed being on. And another great episode here at the Back of the Range. Special thanks to Chris DeMarco for joining us this week. Don't forget, we have new merchandise available on the website. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for all the latest information. And please leave a review in Apple Podcast. We'll see you next week for episode 66 here at the Back of the Range.